Coming soon in the spring of 2024, Dr. Paul Zeitz, physician, epidemiologist, and tenacious award-winning advocate for global justice and human rights, will be releasing his groundbreaking handbook, Revolutionary Optimism, Seven Steps for Living as a Love-Centered Activist. Revolutionary optimism galvanizes us on the path of self-liberation and invites us to unify with others to catalyze our collective liberation. Together, we can create a brighter tomorrow for all humanity, all life on Earth, and for all future generations. Stay tuned for information on how to pre-order your copy. Revolutionary Optimism, Seven Steps for Living as a Love-Centered Activist. Coming soon to inspire you. It's go time! Welcome to Revolutionary Optimism. Living at this time in history, we are challenged with the convergence of crises that is affecting our daily lives. Issues like economic hardship, a teetering democracy, and the worsening climate emergency have left many Americans feeling more despair than ever. To respond to the challenging times we're living through, physician, humanitarian, and social justice advocate Dr. Paul Zeitz has identified revolutionary optimism as an infectious, contagious, self-created way of thinking and living on the path of love where you unleash your personal power and you hashtag unify with others to build movements that catalyze bold and transformational political action, putting love at the center for our collective repair, justice, and peace. On this podcast, Dr. Zeitz is working to provide you with perspectives from leaders fighting for equity, justice, and peace on their strategies, insights, and tools for overcoming adversity and driving forward bold and transformative solutions with unbridled revolutionary optimism and real-world pragmatism. In this episode, Dr. Zeitz is joined by Jesse Leon, a survivor of childhood sex trafficking and abuse who recently published his bold memoir, I'm Not Broken, where he shares openly about his early life filled with harrowing experiences, his journey from despair towards healing and growth, followed by his remarkable educational journey through UC Berkeley and ultimately graduating from Harvard University with a master's degree, is deeply revealing and inspiring. Jesse now serves as a social impact consultant, certified executive coach, and a passionate advocate for ensuring that boys and men are included as important voices in fighting sex trafficking, addiction, mental health, and LGBTQ human rights. Previously, Jesse served in the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development during the Obama administration, where he developed impactful public-private partnerships, grant-making programs, and impact investment funds to address affordable housing across the USA. Here's your host, Dr. Paul Zeitz. Hey, Jesse, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's such an honor to have you here today. And thank you, bro. <laughs> Dr. Paul, it's good. Uh, it's good to be here with you on your Revolutionary Optimism podcast. I love, love, love the title and the purpose. So thanks for doing what you do. We met about a year ago when I was working with the Brave Movement and uh, you were you have, were publishing your book, your memoir, I'm Not Broken, which shares your story of being a male survivor. It's been such a gift to connect with, learn from you, from your story, and also to be on this journey with you as I am a survivor of uh, early childhood sexual violence as well. And uh, your bravery is uh, contagious, man. <laughs> <laughs> So um, if you could share a bit of your story and, uh, you know, inspire people, give them a taste of your story that is going to make them want to go buy the book immediately, uh, you know, that would be really great. We want to hear from you now. 
<laughs> Thank you, Dr. Paul. Um, I wrote uh, I'm Not Broken uh, in English, came out in August of 2022. No Estoy Roto, the Spanish version of I'm Not Broken, came out in January 2023. Uh, I read the audiobooks in both English and Spanish, which are extremely powerful. And it's a book about my journey of being a survivor, someone who's lived through sexual exploitation as a child and being sex trafficked and um, experiencing childhood sexual violence. And I wanted to take the reader through my experiences to convey a message of hope, a, hope, uh, a message of strength, to exemplify that we are resilient and that we survivors can work through some of the most challenging, tough situations to inspire others to not give up. Um, I took my reader through my journey and the journey of my family of having been failed by the system that was intended, intended to protect me or help me through my journey. Um, but falling through the cracks and how a child from 14 to 18 years old experiences while going to weekly therapy sessions paid for by the state's victim compensation program to help me address issues of mental health and the trauma that I experienced. But uh, falling through the cracks, the therapist not caring about me. And how does a 14 year old child go from reaching out for help and the system stepping in to help, but then all of a sudden being handed off into a, an abyss of desperation and turning to the streets uh, to support my drug habit. My perpetrators, um, the individuals that caused harm to me uh, were drugging me and I became a drug addict. So by the time I was 14, when the authorities got involved, I had to turn to the streets to support my drug habit. My therapist knew about the drug use. She knew that I would frequent these places where um, sexual exploitation and uh, trafficking was common and did nothing. So at 18, I ended up homeless, uh, sleeping under a bush in a park, Baboa Park here in San Diego. And the journey that I took from getting clean and sober at 18 to community college and walking the reader through the journey of this transformation of this young kid of color who was just angry and lost to getting into UC Berkeley and graduating from Harvard. And, and the book starts and ends at Harvard graduation. Um, however, after Harvard came UPenn, and as you said, uh, working in both federal and state governments and philanthropy with large financial institutions, and even become a real estate developer. I say all that and I'll summarize to inspire others that we are intelligent, we are resilient, um, people believed in me, and I hope that my list, that the listeners feel that um, after this podcast that we believe in them as well, um, that hope is real, and anything really is possible. So thank you mm -hmm. for that question. I hope I, I, hope I answered it. <laughs> That was beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, re I, I just saw your TED Talk, and I remember feeling like your book, your memoir is titled I'm Not Broken, but there's this, like, we're not broken uh, 
message that you are uh, helping us see that as survivors, we are not broken. And we go through our journeys and wow, are they, you know, kind of roller coasters. Um, and we face, we, we've experienced injustice, literally. And uh, we bring that lived experience to the endeavors that we take forward, um, you know, as part of our work in the world going forward. So I appreciate you so much for sharing your story so uh, poignantly and vividly. And uh, it really, uh, the book helped, helped my healing journey. You know, it, the way you shared about yours made me have to explore my own journey and heal more deeply. So I deeply appreciate that. I remember you sharing with me one time in one of our talks about your Mexican and indigenous heritage and the spiritual wisdom that you have uh, inherited that was part of your healing journey and part of how you're seeing your future. So if you want to share any of that, I'd love to uh, have our listeners see that layer of you. <laughs> First, thank you. Thanks for saying what you said. Um, it's not easy getting as vulnerable as we have. Um, you also wrote your book and your, your career has been dedicated to helping others. And when I met you at the Brave Movement, when you were at the Brave Movement, you immediately welcomed me with open arms. And I feel like I made a friend. And thank you for mentioning the TED Talk as well. You know, my TEDx talk, having just been released last week, wasn't easy. And it's never easy to get up on a stage or even get as vulnerable in writing a book and sharing about some of these challenging topics that are rarely discussed among men, let alone men of color. And so, but I knew that it wasn't about me and it wasn't about ego and it wasn't about trying to capitalize on trauma. And it was really my purpose to inspire hope in others, to just not give up because there was reaching out to you. There, there's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to build these allies amongst each other sometimes. And so I just really wanted that if I, if I were little Jesse, if I were 16 or 17, because the book is not a YA book um, for like, you know, 14, 15 year olds. But if I were, you know, 17 years old and going through the challenges that I was going through and, and there was nothing out there for me, there weren't stories that I could relate to. People didn't talk about these issues and I would argue that they still don't. And so in my book, I also go back three generations on both sides of the family and really wanted to talk about the intergenerational not just the intergenerational trauma, but the intergenerational resilience that uh, the indigenous women whose blood runs through my veins were able to fight to keep their families together and seek opportunity and did not give up, just like my mom didn't give up. And so both sides of my family, I come from indigenous uh, medicine women. Um, and when I grew up as a child, you, you in a Mexican household uh, where we had access to our abuelitas and our tias, there were these um, the synchronicities of Native traditions with religion as well, but Native traditions. And you know, when I got clean and sober at 18, I was able to look back on my journey 
and see that there were these moments of magic of people coming into my life at exactly the right time. Oftentimes, as yourself, not coming in the package that I would have <laughs> expected. You know, I met you and I'm like, oh my God, you've done X, Y, and Z, but you're also a survivor and, and, and bouncing off of each other where you give me hope to not give up. So being open and my ancestors teaching me to be open to receiving messages of hope and receiving new friendships, which oftentimes don't come in the package that I expect them in, um, being open to receive is not easy for a survivor, as you know. But once I got clean and sober and started on my journey of recovery, I was able to get back into my spiritual practices. I do Native Sweat Lodge, Inipi, I do Temescal. I do a lot of Native ceremony, um, which is for me what sometimes keeps me grounded. And I need to partner that for me, Jesse Leon, with my mental health modalities to have greater impact. And I've seen that impact in my life of being able to do EMDR, brain spotting, parts work, internal family systems, you know, talk therapy with my therapists. But at the same time, having a community of, of Native men and women supporting me and Native non-gender binary two-spirit individuals in my world supporting me in ceremony also helps me kind of coexist and bridge the two together. I think I just figured it out. I think I've always felt this, but I, I think I have words to say that I've always sensed you as a wisdom healer. And you have great healing uh, power and energy. So I feel that from you. And I appreciate uh, that lineage and your own journey and that your powerful presence. Uh, it's a healing force. I, I think the world needs that. And so I, I wanted to go a little political since I, the revolutionary optimism is, a, is a revolutionary political ideas. And politics is the competition of ideas. So I, you know, welcome an exploration of your ideas, you know, and so I'm going to give you a magic wand and I'm going to ask you to pretend that you are the president of the United States or you are running the show in whatever way and you can like design and deliver uh, priorities. I'd like to hear what your priorities are, both at the local level, the community level, but also at the national level. Any ideas? You've worked at all these levels, so I wanted to invite you to uh, just kind of riff, you know, your your ideas from your, you know, from your journey and from your wisdom and from all your higher learning academically. If I had a magic wand, it would have been that little Jesse, when he reached out for help at 14 years old, that the mechanisms and the protocols were set in place to make sure that I succeeded. No child should have to be left to maneuver the mental health system or to even explain to their family by themselves without an adult present, a mental health uh, advocate, a social worker, to explain to a parent that you're being sexually abused. 
as what happened in my case. And then once the system steps in, you're initially handed a stack. I was handed a stack of papers that my mom had to sign to get me into this, you know, victim witness type program, um, which would help me work on my issues of rage um, and trauma as if it was, it was really just up to this 14 year old kid and then hand it off with no follow through, no check-ins. Um, with me or my family. And so one of my desires is that if I had my own magic wand is create a framework that addresses, my dream would be that the framework was created, but there is no framework out there that really addresses the needs of men and boys, let alone men of color and two-spirit LGBTQ plus uh, youth that are experiencing these issues. Um, when appropriate, you know, reaching out to the families, um, when appropriate. And, and I say that because um, no one reached out to my mom. No one reached out to me a month after therapy at 14 to say, how's it going? Do you like your therapist? Is she helping? Continuity of care. Yeah. There's, there's no, con yes, thank you. Continuity of care. And, and over the course of, of, of um, post-intervention. And so that didn't happen. There were no wraparound services. According to the state, I was a success. They just handed me off. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's all the, you know, response part of it, which is critical, the healing journey. So there does need to be continuity of care and, uh, you know, different, I love that you took advantage of so many different services and practices and as part of your healing journey. Thank you for giving testimony to that uh, and your commitment to your self-care and your healing, you know, is like something that others should can emulate as part of this journey that we're on. So I appreciate you sharing all that as well. No, thank you. My dream would be that, that there were resources available for a survivor led foundation or philanthropic institution to fund the, the groups that exist out there that do adopt, implement, um, live and breathe a culturally accessible, culturally humble, multilingual, gender-affirming, trauma-informed care practices um, to help individuals heal from the, the experiences many of us go through. I would, as I said on my TED talk, uh, we need to destigmatize these issues so that um, men are able to talk about this without fear of judgment or ostracism um, by creating public awareness campaigns that features male survivors to break taboos, as well as we need to provide safe, safe and sacred spaces for us to be able to do the work without fear of judgment or ostracism because it's extremely difficult to talk about. Two would be incorporate survivors. Uh, there's a conference I'm speaking at uh, this week in D.C., the, Na the National Summit on Human Trafficking. I'll be presenting on a panel on my lived experience on how school districts can address these concerns and incorporate survivors. And I think more and more this is starting to happen. But male and two-spirit LGBTQ plus survivors and survivors of color must be at the table providing input as paid experts, 
to government agencies, foundations, universities, mental health professionals, the criminal justice system, on how can we create create, create long-term sustainable and inclusive solutions. Let me say that again, <laughs> on how we can create long-term sustainable and inclusive solutions that incorporates the expertise and voices of survivors. And lastly, that there is follow-through. As you said, that there is um, continuity in care, that there are post-intervention check-ins with survivors and when available, our families, to make sure that the resources we are receiving are helping. And if not, we must be able to redirect survivors to the appropriate resources to make sure that we are receiving the appropriate gender-affirming, culturally competent, multilingual trauma-informed care. Well said. Well, let's make that happen. I think that <laughs> is a clear vision. I appreciate your clarity of vision. You know, I think that you have an opportunity to uh, shape how this response evolves, as we know. This issue is the conspiracy of silence is starting to break down. We're talking about it. More survivors are speaking up and speaking out and being brave. Uh, and there are many more out there. I look in every room that I'm in and assume that, you know, maybe one in four people, men and women in that room are survivors of childhood sexual violence. And that we have to understand that uh, we have this opportunity to, uh, you know, be a force for transformation here and get these kinds of responses developed and funded and implemented. And uh, we can go to full scale uh, for with prevention, healing and justice to end childhood sexual violence. Why can't we do that? Of course we can. There's a lot of resources being pumped into the, and rightly so, I, I do support it. There's a lot of resources going towards restorative justice and addressing the, the issues of individuals that cause harm. Um, I see that. I recognize it. I am not someone that has caused um, harm on others. And, you know, when I look around, I, I'm supportive, uh, extremely am. But what I see, or yet what I see, is that the resources that are going towards those of us that are on the healing journey as being, have having experienced um, harm, uh, the resources are limited and far and few in between. Uh, mental health is expensive. Modalities, getting a therapist that is trained in different modalities um, to address trauma is very expensive. And so how can we, mean we make these resources available? What if these re resources were available to you and I, Paul, when we were 18 or 19 and embarking on our journey and our career? Uh, maybe our life would have been different, you know, but I, I definitely believe it's needed. And um, we can be able to work on a restorative justice model so that there is a wraparound strategy um, for survivors and also individuals that have caused harm. Um, so that no child need to experience any form of sexual violence globally. Wow, that was good. Yes. And may it be so in our time. May it and be may so we mobilize time. now to do uh, bring that into reality. Like, I have really zero patience <laughs> for the status quo of inaction and talk-festing. And uh, when we have solutions... 
And what all we're missing is political will. The resources are there. It's this political will. And like, I think it's wrong that our government and our country allows children to be raped every single day all over this friggin' country. Like, I think we can do better. I know we can do better. I know we can bring forward prevention, healing, and justice programs at scale within five years if we had political will. So, you know, let's aim for that as well. You just reminded me of a, uh, <laughs> I got a haircut on, on Sunday. Um, I'm speaking at the summit uh, this week in D.C. on human trafficking. Um, the book has been able, and my TED Talk, to kind of redirected me in a different direction. I, I, my, my, I'm a consultant, I'm an executive coach, and my expertise is the intersections of philanthropy, housing, and placemaking. Um, and I view housing as a um, human right and housing as health equity. So you work in, uh, you work in the government on housing, right? You worked at the federal government level and at the state government level. Can you tell us about those experiences and how they were different or the same? Definitely. And, and the story about the barbershop goes right into that. So I'm at the barbershop and uh, a man walks in uh, military and he, he recognizes me from, from the TED talk that just came out. And he says, you know, I really commend you for, you know, having the courage and the vulnerability to get up there and talk about such an important issue. It must not be easy. And he said, and I really hope people don't politicize this issue. I don't care what side of the aisle you sit on, but this issue needs to be addressed across political lines and regardless of uh, political beliefs. All children are sacred. All children must be protected. I think he framed it perfectly because having, I, I moved to DC and worked for HUD, managing one of their largest grant programs and had the, the, had the privilege, I'll say privilege, of knowing that a lot of my friends that I went to the Kennedy School of Government with at Harvard um, were appointees in the administration. I was not, uh, but I, I, I was a career, and but was representing HUD in cross-agency strategies to make sure that, you know, if there was a grant going to a city around education and there was a grant going to a city for housing, and another grant on, on, on environmental impacts that these grants at least were coordinated to have greater impact on the ground. But then from one day to the next, the administration changed. And you saw it in DC. It was really, it was real. Uh, it was, I lived uh, by the waterfront in DC and all of a sudden I, I'd walked to work and the demographics shifted so quick. Being able to see the drastic shift in government and ideologies when one day I am respected and valued as a American citizen who comes from a Mexican immigrant family along the U.S.-Mexico border, who is a survivor of trafficking and childhood sexual abuse, who happens to come from poverty um, and identify as, as a gay Latino two-spirit individual, all of a sudden, I went from being supported to one day the messaging of not being wanted and you don't belong here. And, and 
and then leaving leaving the federal government because I didn't uh, I I just didn't my values and my morals were not aligned with the new leadership and um, went to work for a foundation for a year in Colorado and then I went to work for housing in the state of Florida and I started the day before the elections. I thought Florida was going to have its first black Democratic governor, and it was pretty exciting. But um, that individual lost, and another governor won. And the rhetoric was, um, once again, I don't belong. And even though I'm an American citizen, um, but I I come from an immigrant family along the U.S.-Mexico border. And my family struggled to get here. And we are... um, responsible members of society that pay taxes and were active in our community to all of a sudden be a part of working under the rhetoric of that's anti-LGBT, anti-immigrant, and I just couldn't do it. But I wanted to finance the first ever LGBT senior housing project in the state of Florida. And once that deal was financed and closed, we had a $2.4 million gap. And once we identified some philanthropic institutions to fill that gap for LGBT senior housing, once that deal was closed, I was out. Um, So you are a healer of action. (laughs) (laughs) You go beyond your own healing journey and healing those around you, but you take action at at a statewide level and a national level. So I really appreciate that uh, part of your of yourself that you, that you do, you just, we do have that. to. that's just, that's you just who you it. are. Thank that's you. No, but you do it right. We have to take action and we have to be able to learn how to work across party lines, regardless of. I totally agree with uh, that. I am a strong uh, proponent of interpartisan uh, transformation. Uh, the work that I did on the pe- uh, president's plan, uh, the emergency plan for AIDS relief, PEPFAR, PEPFAR. that was a cross-partisan movement that lasted for 20 years uh, through 10 Congresses and four uh, presidents. Um, only now it's that bipartisan yeah. dynamic is breaking down a bit, but we had 20 good years of the, the most important, impactful initiative since the Marshall Plan is what people say internationally. I don't know if that's true, but um, yeah, so I agree with you on that totally. And I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, you know, the the show is about revolutionary optimism, which is something that I have, and it's highly contagious, and I have to generate it for myself every single day, because I do sometimes get despairing and hopeless. So as I really know, deep in my heart, you are a a robust, world-class, revolutionary optimist. What do you do when you have one of those days or one of those weeks or a period of time in your life where you're despairing and hopeless? How do you how do you navigate through it? How do you pass through that narrow place into your full self? Because I think ultimately you're human. We're all human. We want to learn from each other about how to go about that. uh, You know that what how do you do that? Let me first keep it real, real simple for myself. And I say this for myself because I will tend to want, I want, I will want to complicate it as much as possible, whether uh, intellectually or, or even spiritually. 
I must be open to what the universe is presenting to me and being open to having conversations with individuals that will oftentimes also challenge me um, during those times. Um, meaning calling you when I'm having, <laughs> when I'm having a tough day and you knowing, okay, Jesse's having a, uh, Jesse's having a moment. Um, listen through with creative inquiry, um, pull yourself out of the situation, have me look at a different perspective and talk me off the ledge sometimes. And for me, I think the key was right there is having a shift in perspective or perception. Some people say miracles are a shift in perception for me. Um, and once my perception starts to shift, I allow myself to be open to hearing uh, messages from individuals that may or may not come within the package that I expected to be in. To help me shift that perspective helps me get through one more day. I have been blessed that I have had people come into my life at exactly the right time, even when I didn't want them to, what I call moments of magic that have taught me to continue to be open to those moments of magic in my life so that I've been able to acquire a beautiful array of individuals my internal board of directors that I reach out to because I feel safe with them. But that took time to build. And I can say, hey, it's 11 o'clock at night or you will sleep. Do you have a moment to talk? I can't sleep. My head won't stop. I've tried praying. I've tried meditating. I burned some sage. I, I've tried to get in my zone to relax. I'm doing breathing exercises. I just need to talk with somebody and hear myself talk it out. Um, and a lot of people don't have that. And so I, I um, navigating through the difficult times has sometimes been speaking on a stage when you don't want to, because you already feel that you're so overwhelmed with everything going on in life around you, but you're going to go speak at an event. And then somebody walks up to you and says, I also experienced something similar that you didn't have never told anybody. You just gave me hope today to not give up. I'm having a hard time at work because of X, Y, and Z. And I feel that I'm, I'm starting to relive all these situations. Um, I feel that people don't see me. And, and, and when people tell me that they feel seen, um, it brings me back to purpose. See, for too long, I would feel that my emotions would take over when I would be in a situation where I would have an overwhelmingly incomprehensible response to a situation where I felt threatened. And because my emotions and my reasoning were out of balance, what would happen if in those situations, which oftentimes occurs to a lot of young men of color, men and women of color, where... Uh, I would lash out with, in anger and rage at the most inopportune time where maybe there was a cop around and all of a sudden my life takes a completely different path because no one has ever worked. No one worked with me on how to deescalate my emotions, how to deescalate 
conflict um, or how to do it for each other. And I'll say this one last time. I often wonder, do people see me in the workplace? Prior to my book coming out or being a TEDx speaker, I would walk into the executive boardroom at a financial institution to discuss, you know, multi-million dollar grants. And I'd open the door and on the other side is predominantly white executives in business suits. Well, 95% of my, my perpetrators or individuals that caused me sexual harm were men in suits. Um, and so you don't know what that, if you don't know me, what it takes for me to navigate through it from go opening that door, looking in and being like, and that millisecond of a moment that I have to shift my perception and walk in with my head high. I belong here. I got this. I have a purpose. Um, at the same time, having to work through my internal turmoil to suit up and show up and be the best person I need to be for others. And it's never easy. And you've gone through it. And so how do I navigate through it? Um, I've had to learn how to. Well, you're magical. (laughs) (laughs) You have, you bring magic to your life's journey. You create camaraderie and you have a, you have a support network and it's bi-directional and you know, that's, you create that, uh, network and that field around you. So it's magical. (laughs) So I want to thank you for your public leadership and for sharing your journey and for being on the journey and for being a voice of the voiceless. You know, you're one of those people who uh, is speaking for all those boys and girls out there now who are, who are seeking uh, relief and healing. So thank you for your boldness and your bravery and your valor. No, thank you, Dr. Paul, for all you do. And I I would love to ask you, how do you navigate through it? Several things come to mind. You know, I I had to create revolutionary optimism as a way of living. And I I did that to as an antidote to my own sense of despair and hopelessness. Because I really dig in and I like really like face the suffering. Like I worked in the dying fields in Africa. I went to the malnutrition wards where the children were, you know, the babies were dying in their mother's arms, you know, and I faced the the penultimate suffering of humanity. And then I had my own uh, traumatic uh, life experience as well. And so I just had to like come up with something to as a coping strategy. And I also make commitments. When I'm committed to something, I am more able to be revolutionarily optimistic. So like I am committed to ending childhood sexual violence. I am committed to uh, the American idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for and ec- liberty and justice for all, you know? Like those are ideas that I am committed to. And uh, I think that serves me well. When I practice what I preach and I live by my commitments, you know, my life, you know, kind of goes in the right direction. So tell it, tell it. Jesse, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I appreciate you more than you know. Paul, thank you. You've been a friend, an ally, a support on this journey. And we've only met each other. We only met about a year ago. And 
I met you through your work with the Brave Movement and we stayed in touch. And you are one of those people I turn to. And you know this, when I feel um, that I need another male survivor perspective to just let me know that, hey, you got this, Jesse. You're not broken. You wrote about not being broken. You got this one more day. Um, Has been a part of the answers to my prayers to not feel so alone on this journey and, and helping me with my purpose to raise awareness and create changes and policies to help others survive, not just survive, help others thrive. So thank you, Paul, for, for having me on the Revolutionary Optimism podcast, but most importantly, for, for being a part of the movement that has helped me find a space and an ally that I can talk to. Thank you. Wow, that was a phenomenal conversation with my dear friend, Jesse Leon. Jesse is an amazing revolutionary optimist. He is a person who had a traumatic childhood. He experienced extensive childhood sexual violence. He was sexually trafficked, became a drug addict, and he was in and out of the systems within California to deal with these kinds of situations. And he found those systems quite failing. He took that lived experience and drew on the ancient wisdom of his ancestors. He, uh, he drew on a higher education from uh, Berkeley to Harvard. He drew on modern practices, healing practices and modalities, as well as tapping into innovative indigenous uh, uh, technologies and sweat lodges and other ways of healing. And he also wrote a phenomenal memoir called I'm Not Broken as part of his healing journey. And he's speaking up and speaking out now. And his bravery is phenomenal. And the thing about Jesse is that he is a healer and he is a magical healer because his energy is so deeply transformative. And he has already been bringing solutions to the government, both at a state level and at the federal level. And he has very specific ideas about what needs to happen to end the scourge of childhood sexual violence and end childhood trafficking of boys and girls like what he experienced. And he sees himself as on a mission to do whatever he can to make sure that survivor voices are front and center in developing the response uh, for prevention, healing, and justice which is essential for ending childhood sexual violence. So it was a great honor to have Jesse on the program and he is the kind of leader that uh, we all wanna be as a revolutionary optimist. Are you ready to be part of the revolution? To learn more about revolutionary optimism, please visit drpaulzeitz.org. To explore building movements, please visit unifymovements.org. If you like this show, be sure to follow on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Revolutionary Optimism, transforming the world one episode at a time.